Hey, everybody, it's Wednesday, May 11th, and you are listening to the Pure Capital Podcast. Today on the podcast, it is the second week of the month, so we are talking startups. Um, It's startup week. It's that week where James brings us everything that he knows about startups, all of his fantastic knowledge about startups. And in the essence of what we've been kind of following along for the last, um, really this whole month, you know, we, we... thought it was important to talk about markets. You know, inflation is out of control. CPI came out today again and posted an 8.3% print, um, which is is crazy compared to the last 40 years, right? So that's affecting everything. It's affecting everything that uh, James and I talk about, all the different markets that James and I talk about. And, uh, you know, last week we gave you the rundown for what that looks like from the real estate side of things. And this week, we really wanted to just kind of carry that forward into the startup realm. So really kind of dive in and talk about what's going on in the startup world and how are these different market dynamics affecting startups. And uh, James is here as always to to help take us through that. So hop on, James. How are you doing tonight? Oh, you're making me blush, Norm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Do you like no. all those compliments I just gave I- you? I appreciate it, man. I'm, uh, I'm just always learning and, uh, that's the beauty of it is, is always learning and sharing things. So I'm excited to jump on and, and get back on the startups. It's been a minute since we, uh, we talked about them. Absolutely. So what, what do you got for us tonight? Give us, give us the rundown. Absolutely. I think, um, I think a lot of, you know, what's been on a lot of people's minds recently, uh, you know, being a founder, even talking with other folks and friends, that are, uh, you know, employees or folks at, at uh, either early or other late stage startups. Um, I, everyone's just thinking, hey, what's going on with the markets? And uh, I think it's really important for, for not only founders of startups, um, and this is obviously the first time being a founder for me and, and really the first time going through kind of a, a decent down market uh, outside of COVID, which obviously rebounded pretty quickly. But um you know, thinking through whether you're the founder or, or an employee, how, how does what's happening in the market impact my life? Um, and, you know, obviously, depending on where you fall in the, in the org chart at a startup, that it, it w- will determine how that impacts your life. But I just kind of wanted to unpack that a little bit and, and talk through um, some examples. And, um, you know, I think really where I wanted to jump in is just talk through a little bit of like, what is an early, an early stage company and the difference between that versus late stage? Because where you're at in the cycle, right, um, impacts uh, the way that the markets affect your company. Um, and so I'll kind of just start off with a, a quick definition. But essentially, you could be either in the early stage, somewhere kind of in the middle, or a late stage startup. And just for quick context for folks, early stage is uh, what folks either call a pre-seed or seed round. I think on a previous episode or maybe on a future one, if we didn't before, we'll break down this more in depth of the actual life cycle and kind of stages of a startup. But pre-seed and seed is when you're still pretty early. Uh, you know, you probably haven't raised more than five to 10 million in capital. Um, people who were already multi-time founders for a seed round could probably raise more. There's been some that have raised 30 million stuff for a seed. But for the most part, you haven't raised more than five to 10 million maybe uh, you probably got a team if you're real early of just founders, maybe two or three of you, or uh, if you're at the seed stage, uh, you've got maybe 10 employees, 20 employees around there. And that's not all fact, but that's just good ballparks. 
Uh, and then you go all the way up into kind of the mid tier where you start to get into what people call series A, which is just a financing round. Um, at that point, you're really starting to increase the amount of capital you're raising. You're raising 10, 20, 30, 40 million or more, depending on uh, your metrics as a company. You're really focused at that point on you've ironed out the core value that you provide your customers. And you're just focused on really beginning to scale. Um, and you've you know probably got 50 plus employees, a couple maybe at 100 plus. Um, and then beyond that is all the way where you just go from series A through to series B, C, D, and you keep going until um, either get you know acquired at some point or, or go public as a company. Um, and the, that's exactly right there. The reason why the markets impact startups is because you don't think about it when you're at a startup, you're starting one, but every startup at some point, the goal, right, is to become a publicly traded company. And then obviously when you're listed as a publicly traded company, what happens in the markets affects you. Uh, on a daily basis. Um, and so that's, I think, important context for for talking through, um, you know, how the markets really impact a startup. But essentially, throwing it back all the way to, uh, you know, early stage, when you're raising capital as an early stage um, startup or founder, the multiple at which you raise capital um, matters, but isn't as important as late stage. And the reason why is because if you think about it, you have a lot of, you're still, you're, you're still like an infant, right? You're still like, uh, it's like, you know, who could have looked at LeBron when he was six years old and said, hey, you're going to be the greatest NBA player uh, to exist, right? I mean, it would have been very hard. Uh, and so a lot of investors and people who are looking at, at early stage companies are trying to pick who's going to be the next LeBron of startups, but they're trying to pick them at age six or 10 when they're super young and it's hard to tell. Um, and so the multiples necessarily are kind of more of a give and take, um, you know, because there's still a lot of room as a company to grow and you still have a lot of room to prove yourself. And so you can kind of walk into multiples and you can uh, or you could increase revenue a ton over the next two years. So where the the impact is for an early stage company is anytime um, it, it basically comes down to this, it's access to capital. And so what happens is obviously when you raise capital as a startup, you're going to investors, whether it's angels or institutional investors, right? And if you're an angel, uh, an angel investor is just someone who who writes a small check into the company, usually a strategic uh, customer or advisor, uh, someone who's experienced maybe in the industry. Um, and they're investing with money from their actual personal you know, investment account or, or savings or something. And so when the market goes down, they maybe are less likely to invest or will decrease the amount of uh, capital they'll put into a company. Um, other times with the, with the VC, um, you'll see the number of deals at which they do in terms of the velocity of them um, and the frequency maybe will decrease. So instead of maybe if they were doing, for sake of numbers, five deals a month, maybe now they're doing two deals a month. Um, and so what happens now is the amount of opportunities to raise capital from people starts to decrease. Uh, and so now as a founder... Maybe it was, and people will tell you this, it was easier to raise capital 12 months ago because there was so many people just writing checks and ripping money uh, into companies um, and just trying to get into as many companies as possible because there was so much money in the markets being flooded in. And now what's happening because of the market pullbacks is, is investors, whether it's institutional or an angel, they're starting to really be a lot more selective is probably the right word for it on the startups they're investing in. So now the real are truly kind of starting to be separated from the fake and the really good deals and companies that are high performing are still getting funded 
But now these companies that maybe 12 months ago, the mid-level companies or, or lower that can still get funded 12 to 24 months ago are now having a little bit of a harder time getting capital where maybe have to take less favorable terms. And by less favorable terms, I just mean they maybe have to give up more equity or have some part of the uh, term sheet that they get for the deal that's a little bit different than some of the better companies. Um, so in the early stage, it's all about, in summary, you know, it's all about access to capital um, and how you know, that can impact your, your equity ownership and some of the different things there in kind of the early stage. But uh, I'll kind of pause there and love to hear your thoughts on that, Norm, and have a little back and forth. Yeah, yeah. So I, I guess I have a couple of questions here that I want to that I want to touch on. I want to talk about just kind of some of the different market dynamics that are out there and what you've seen from um, from a decrease in capital that's available, and just kind of get your opinion on on that. But before I do that, just for the people who don't know, you said um, you said multiples quite a few times there. Can you just give kind of a rundown of what what you mean when you're saying multiples? Yeah, so uh, and it's a great question. Um, you know, anytime you're raising capital, usually a quick way for someone to it's not always accurate, but a good quick way for an investor or anyone to try to get a valuation on the company because it's still a private company at this stage is to just take some uh, metric for your company, usually say revenue or recurring revenue. And then have some multiple that they'll multiply that by to get a rough valuation. So, uh, at you know, as context, um, and VCs would know this the best. But at all, when the markets were at all time highs, I think you had, and and you'd have to check me, but I think you had some companies that were getting valued uh, uh, valuations that were roughly like a hundred x their their revenue. So if you had a million in revenue, that multiple is a hundred. That means your company could be valued at a hundred million dollars. And what's happened now is uh, as the markets have gone down, that multiple is now decreased and it's still trying to be, people are still figuring out what that is, but that's what the multiple is. It's just what number do you multiply some metric, usually your annual recurring revenue uh, by to get a rough company valuation. I got you. Got you. Thank you. Thank you for um, kind of clarifying for everybody who's, who's listening. I appreciate that. Uh, so as I'm sitting here, I'm thinking, thinking through this, you're talking about multiples getting compressed, capital, not, not as much capital being there setting on the table for people um, to invest in. What do you think that's a direct correlation to? So obviously, like if your ultimate goal is IPO, when the stock market's ripping, there's a huge number of people out there who are uh, very interested in purchasing those IPOs with this kind of um, thought process that obviously things are going to continue to go up and up and, and you're going to make a whole bunch of money on this, on this IPO from the investor side of things. And when the market is down, um, you know, I think we're, gosh, we're 20% off the top at this point. Um, then <laughs> that enthusiasm isn't there. There's not as many people in the market ready to rock and roll, ready to put up, put up capital for that. When, once you hit that IPO stage, um, uh, but, you know, is it just a direct correlation to where that market is setting or how does the impact, how does that compare to your impact that comes from something such as, uh, you know, CPI being at eight and a half percent, interest rates going up, uh, negative GDP growth, um, different aspects of, of things like of that? What, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think I think um, my take on it would be most 
I don't think that most VCs are are looking at saying, hey, what's the CPI or what's interest rates going up to from a standpoint um, of like general things. I think when they look at those indicators, they're maybe just trying to look at it and say, okay, how is that going to impact the markets? And then how do the markets impact us? Um, so it's kind of a, maybe a little bit of a leading indicator for them to know uh, over the next year how they're going to deploy capital. And I think that's exactly what's happened. I think what's happened now is uh, institutional uh, you know, capital allocators have looked and said, okay, hey, we know the markets are down. Uh, we've got indicators with the first quarter being, uh, you know, negative GDP. Uh, we've got indicators with, uh, you know, Powell and, and, and the Fed coming out saying, hey, we, we're doing a little interest interest rate hike with maybe some more to come. And, and that they see how that's already impacted the markets. And so now they know that, um, you know, any deal that they do, they need to be a little bit more selective on because uh, I think it's a risk on versus risk off thing, you know, and, you know, I've talked about it before. It's uh, now there's got to be a little more intentionality behind how do you go from being an early stage company to being a late stage company that can IPO. And that path is, has just gotten a lot harder now because of the markets and, and getting the IPO right to your point. There's not as many people out there just ready to chomp at the bit and buy the next tech IPO. Um, and so because of that, that Im- impacts the way, that they're looking at it because that's their goal, right? Their goal is to get every startup they invest in from uh, as many as possible from where they're at all the way through to IPO. Uh, that's where the big payday is out for investors or to an acquisition. Um, and so because it's harder now to do those things into IPO and, and the way that that, that life cycle works, they're having to be more selective in their, in their investments, which is naturally decreasing the amount uh, that they're deploying because they're just being a lot more selective than they were 12 months ago. Okay. Yeah. That, I mean, that absolutely makes sense. You know, market, market conditions are bad. Um, interest rates are rising. You're moving into more of a risk off environment, more of an environment where it's not, it's not this Goldilocks environment where everything wins um, because there's just so many people who are chasing after some sort of appreciation associated with a, a stock market and, and with um, grabbing onto IPOs, there's not as big of a pool of capital that's just sitting there chomping at the bit to get their hands on new opportunities um, as what there were before. So, um, you know, I, I, I want to try to draw like a really kind of lay it out for people and give them a good comparison of what it was like, you know, five, six months ago compared to what it's like today when it comes to that. So, you know, you said some of these multiples were hundred X multiple, hundred times multiples. What, what are you seeing kind of today? And, and um, how much are these VCs, how much are these investors, angels uh, pulling back on their investments? Yeah, that's a great question. And um, a, a, a good analyst at a top firm would have more concrete numbers um, than, I, than I would. But I know from whatever they were at, they've come down pretty drastically, just like the way the markets have. Um, the multiples definitely correlate very strongly to how, um, you know, how the markets are performing. And I don't know if they're necessarily, um, you know, any deals they'd underwritten or were going through, they're still closing on. I don't, they're not really pulling back maybe, um, you know, the, the capital or maybe the number of current deals or anything, but they're just being more selective moving forward. And 
I've heard a lot of folks too talk through strategies around it's from an investor standpoint, it's a lot more risky to invest in a new company than it is to double down on your current winners. And by that, I just mean, you know, if two years ago or even 12 months ago, I'm an investor and I invested in a startup. And since then, they've already hit the main metrics that they wanted to and have had good growth despite the changing market conditions and they're raising around uh, in the next couple of months or a year. I'm more likely to maybe double down on that if there's room for me uh, to be a part of that investment than I am to just go pick some new startup that's still trying to prove their, uh, you know, revenue model or, or pro- product market fit, et cetera. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, that, that absolutely makes sense. So they're, they're, um, <laughs> they're doubling down on their winners. They're following good money with good money uh, rather than trying to go kind of spread that out across multiple different new startups that have more risk associated with them with the hope that, you know, you, you hit it, hit that home run, um, in this environment, it's a much harder home run to hit uh, because the businesses, I mean, frankly, you know, just as an investor myself, like the businesses have to be more sound where yep. uh, when it's when it's risk on, like you can take a you can take a little bit more risk. You can take a runner on a business that maybe isn't that sound, but has the opportunity to really blow up into something that could be big once it. uh once it gets its legs underneath it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think the interesting thing, and I know the what we're talking about now is definitely very more from the perspective of investors and founders who are raising capital. I'd like to definitely touch a little bit on the later stages, but I really want to hit too on how does this impact like the broader group of people in startups, which is, you know, startup employees, um, because I think that's something important. To, to really think through. But really the, the next thing I want to chat through was just, we talked about early stage and how that impacts um, startups at that, at that level. What I want to talk about is the later stage companies, late stage companies, you know, think uh, the Instacarts of the world, companies that have raised a lot of capital, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars um, and, and are, were maybe thinking about IPOing or were one round away from IPOing and now have kind of pump the brakes because of the market changes. Um, and this is how the full life, life cycle comes into play. So when you're uh, obviously, as you go from early stage to late stage, the multiple at which investors can expect a return decreases. And that's just because it becomes less risky. So naturally, if you invest, um, you know, whoever picked Airbnb, right, at the earliest stage, probably um, got more equity or more bang for their buck because it was still a risky business. Now, you know, as they've matured and proven out, if you wrote a check into them maybe five years ago, um, you maybe have less of a return multiple than you would have from the investor who was, you know, way earlier. Um, And so what happens is as startups mature, they prove their business model, they hire more people, they build out, um, you know, new revenue streams, and they start to become a more mature company. And so the multiple changes um, based off that risk, but what doesn't change is how they go to IPO and how everyone kind of finally has that cash in moment um, as they're trying to IPO. And so what's happened is a lot of these companies have raised a lot of money at high valuations. And now they're having to potentially pause or delay IPO uh, because with the change in the markets, the valuations that they uh, you know have raised at have basically been cut in half or have trimmed 20 to 30% off of uh off of the valuation and uh and a great example of this is um 
is Instacart and, and how it's impacted them. I mean, their last round um, of investment, I'm actually just pulling it up, was uh, their la- was right around, they raised $265 million, uh, in March of 2021. And they were valued at $39 billion. Um, and that was in 2021. And, I, and they might have even raised something a little bit later than that. But now that valuation has been has been trimmed. And so they have to make a decision, you know, hey, are we, they essentially have to weather the storm, right? They have to wait until, you know, you can't, it's harder to go to IPO, you, you know, an IPO for less than your, your, your latest investment round. Um, and so these late stage founders have been put in a position where they basically have to weather the storm uh, and try to try to figure out how they can uh, just basically wait out and, and, and wait for these markets to kind of simmer down and then pick back up so that they can move back towards IPO. So th- this is something that's really, really, really interesting to me because this is where we can start to get into um, things like unemployment <laughs> going up. You know, one of the things that uh, we've kind of been hearing out there is, is like, okay, you know, everything's really bad, but unemployment's still good, right? We're still at a low unemployment rate. Um, so, you know, everybody, nobody look over here because the market's still great because unemployment's good, even though everything else is bad, right? But what happens to these late stage startups that have boatloads of employees and I imagine a pretty high burn rate, um, if that market doesn't go up and that market doesn't create a market for them to IPO into. Yeah. I mean, this is a great example and, um, this is exactly where I wanted the conversation to go to and it blends well with late stage. You know, you could have late stage companies that have, to your point, they've increased burn quite a bit, which just for anyone listening means, you know, the amount of money you're spending essentially each month, uh, in software startups, especially tends to be a lot of, uh, human capital. So, the engineers, the designers, the product managers, um, those folks who are helping with build, building the product and selling it. Um, and you'll have some of these companies. I mean, you can get a burn that will get up in the millions of dollars, right? I mean, um, a great example of this was a company called Fast, who was a, a pretty uh, high-tech, high high-growth startup uh, that had raised over $100 million throughout its you know life as a company um, and just did they weren't performing. They increased their burn to, I think, several million. I think it was above 10 million, I believe, uh, you know, recently. And and what ended up happening is they raised all this money at a high valuation, hired all these people, which increased their burn. I think they were at several hundred employees, if not more. Um, and they only had, I think it was under a million dollars of, of annual recurring revenue a year. Uh, someone could fact check that, but under a million dollars a year of revenue to show for it. And so they essentially, uh, you know, whether it was they ran out of money or investors pulled the plug and, um, you know, things changed on the board or the founder level or whatever, but basically this company had to shut down uh, and they had to literally lay off however many employees they had. I think it was a couple hundred. Um, and, and when you're, you know, this is where I wanted to really get to is when you are, if you look at uh, a business and you look at it in terms of a, you know, spectrum of risk, startups are the most riskiest. Uh, they have the most risk. Um, and you have to realize as an employee that yes, in that, in that risk, um, 
there is a lot of upside and reward in, in equity and future value if you are part of the next Airbnb or Uber, et cetera. But in the in in the bad times when the economy changes, uh, a lot of companies have to lay off a portion of their their workforce. And there's been other several companies that have come out that are later stage that have announced you know twenty percent workforce layoff, thirty percent workforce layoff. And at the end of the day, it's just because their valuations have been have been cut, and they can't go IPO, and so they have to essentially weather the storm. And the only way to weather the storm is to cut costs. And sadly, a, a, a large part of costs in startups is human capital. Uh, and so I would strongly encourage any early stage employees out there, or even late stage, anyone in startups that is not part of an IP uh, publicly traded company yet to just really be smart about how you're allocating capital and, and handling your own money. This is something Norm and I always come back to is, um, you know, you just got to have, you just got to be a smart allocator. And, um, you know, the last position you, you ever want anyone to be in is, is laid off from a position that they thought would be there for the next several years and just not being ready for the the repercussions of that. So it's super interesting, super fascinating. I think this is the first domino to fall. I think we're going to see a lot of startups that have raised a lot of capital in the last 24 months uh, that a couple of years from now, or maybe even sooner in the next uh, 12 months will, will, will fold or have to lay off a significant amount of their, of their workforce. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I agree. It's very interesting. I mean, I think that it's, it's much more fickle than what people realize it is, <laughs> you know, um, just the, the startup world and the, the system that we kind of have is, is, um, is fickle. I mean, it's very, it can be very finicky and it can be very, uh, attuned to, to market fluctuations because, you know, the, the ultimate goal is to move stuff, move product to market as quick as possible and turn those revenues up and then raise that capital and, and get that, get that business turned into a well-maintained self-sustaining, um, profitable business, uh, that you can go to market with. And, Unfortunately, if you get caught in a bad cycle, um, you can get uh, you can go down with the ship when that when that happens. Uh, and, you know, I, I think that like if you sit back and you start to think about that, to go back to what I said with unemployment, um, I think that's one of the dominoes that's going to fall. That's going to kind of start pressing on the unemployment side of things. And uh, when that unemployment unemployment side of things, in my opinion, when that, when that breaks, when that finally falls and people throw in the towel and say, okay, that's it. The economy's not as good as we thought it was. The economy's actually pretty doggone bad. Um, then we go back to risk on rates drop money's easy and we're back into risk on and, and we continue down that path. I, I completely agree with you. And I think an interesting thing um, that, you know, I, I've spent a lot of time uh, as a founder just chatting with my co-founder and other people in our network uh, is this is an opportunity to really double down and, and, and prove your value as a startup. Because if you look back, some of the greatest startups that we've seen come out over the past uh, decade and beyond, like Airbnb and et cetera, a lot of, I mean, Airbnb was started in 2008, right? And I mean, many could argue, hey, that's a terrible time to do a startup, right? The the economy had just crashed back then and we had a lot of issues uh, with the economy and, and there was a lot of uncertainty there. But a lot of times, it these 
these opportunities really start to separate the people. Uh, you know, they really start to, to just cancel and and get rid of the noise of a lot of startups. You know, the the easy part is raising the capital. The hard part is executing and building a good product that people want to buy and that can scale across to reach you know billions of dollars of market cap eventually. Um, and that's what's going to start happening is is you're going to start to see who are the real true operators, um, who are the real founders that are are in the trenches, battling it out, figuring out the business models, figuring out the pain that their customers have, figuring out ways to make money when it's harder to make money now, right? It was easier to make money 12 months ago, 24 months ago, way harder to make money now. And so the companies that can figure it out are going to be the companies that come out on the other side of this thing five to 10 years from now and are just going to be behemoths in their industry. Uh, and they're going to be the next Airbnb of their of their sector. I, I couldn't agree more with you, James. I mean, I think this is the this is the time. Most of the best companies come out of hard times, you know, recessions and and difficult times is when usually the <laughs> the bad get weeded out. And that's kind of the beauty of our capitalistic system is um, those companies that are not companies who don't deserve to be there and don't belong there get eliminated in this type of type of situation that we're getting ready to go through now. Um, and that's a good thing, not a bad thing. You know, it, it, it really shows who has the entrepreneurial spirit and the ability to make things happen when uh, times get bad. And those are the people who you want to be invested in. Those are the people who you want to be around. Um, and those are the people that you want kind of leading your country's economy. Um, so I, I mean, I think that's important. I think it's all part of the part of the cycle and a, a beautiful part of the cycle when you get right right down to it and you really start to sit back and think about this for what it is. So you know we're we're coming into a to a close here. Are there any other uh, comments or notes or anything else that you want to mow through here before we bring this in for a close? I think that's it. I mean, I think this was something as more of a broader update of just, hey, how how are the markets? You know, we talk a lot about what's going on in the markets. How are they actually impacting uh, startups? And, um, you know, at some point, we'll probably dive deeper into the funding rounds of a company and the life cycle of a startup and, and all that. But I think this was just a good, um, you know, for every founder or employee or whoever's out there, right? I mean, when the people from uh, Fast got laid off, right? Like that was a wake-up call. And that was a real real wake up call for them uh, and for those founders and those investors of like, Hey, this, this is like, this is real. And, and, and we, you know, they're, you, you know, the next company that any of those employees are looking at, they're going to be thinking a lot more around, okay, well, this new company I'm going at, is it, is it something that uh, is sustainable for the next five years? Are they, how much revenue do they have? You know, do they have good customer traction? Um, and people are really going to start thinking through things more. Uh, which will lead to, like, to your point, a lot more intentionality and thought around this space. So um, tough times are, I think, still sadly ahead of us in the startup world. But uh, as founders and employees and, and operators, I think all that we can do is uh, continue to work hard and just try to deliver uh, value to customers and, and continue to figure out ways, innovative ways, especially if you're in the consumer space. It's a lot harder to sell consumer stuff in this environment than uh, you know it is in B2B things because it might not be as much of a necessity to customers. Um, and so you got to, this is where you have to really, a lot of times as founders and, and early employees think outside the box and, and figure out ways to still get customers to uh, pay you for a hair on fire problem you solve for them in, in tough times. 
Um, and so, you know, there'll be a lot of interesting things ahead. I'm sure future episodes will have plenty of coverage on, uh, you know, updates around um, what's going on in the markets, especially as things either get worse or better over time. And, um, you know, it'll be really interesting to see how it all plays out. But for anyone out there, just keep keep hustling and uh, keep keep getting after it. And uh, if you're at, you know, an early stage or late stage company's employee, just be mindful of your your monthly spend personally and, and just make sure that you've got your basis covered. But um, I've excited, I've been excited to do this episode and we're back at it. Um, you know, we did an episode last week uh, We're we're back pumping episodes out. And so we're excited to continue to bring, bring things to you guys. And uh, as always appreciate you guys tuning in and we'll talk with you guys next week. Yeah, absolutely. So make sure that you guys um, hop on over, subscribe to uh, the Pure Capital Podcast over on Colin. If you want to ask questions, if you want to get to know us a little bit better, um, go ahead and, and hop in live. We're going to be on here every Wednesday at 8.30 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, so that is the new time, 8.30 p.m. Eastern time on Wednesdays. Um, if you want to call in and ask questions, we're happy to answer them and happy to bring you into the discussion. Uh, but give us a like, give us a follow, uh, comment, leave us reviews. Um, believe it or not, that helps us out a ton. Uh, to continue to get that message out there. And then, as always, if you want to uh, get in contact with James and I, hop on over to platcapital.co. Again, platcapital.co. Um, you can find all of the real estate funds over there, as well as uh, drop James and I a line. Believe it or not, we get back to uh, pretty much everybody that reaches out to us. And, and we like to talk to people who listen to us, talk to people who invest with us, um, and, and have some, some good conversations with those people. So hop on over there and, and reach out. So with that, this has been the Pure Capital Podcast. Thank you all. See you next week.